Hi everyone, David Wilkes here, and I have a little bit of a conundrum. I wasn't sure whether this week counted as the first weekend in September or the fifth weekend in August, and generally we release episodes on the first and third weekend of every month. So to split the difference, so to speak, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to let you hear a brand new podcast from Frosted Lens Entertainment. It's called Musicians Versus the World. If you listen to our podcast from two weeks ago, you would have heard a little snippet of this. And it's a really great take on the lives of musicians and how their everyday lives work. So it fits in really well with the theme of the Everyday Immigration Podcast. So please take a listen. And if you like what you hear, feel free to subscribe. You can find it now on Stitcher and SoundCloud, and it will be available on most major podcast platforms very soon. Also, be sure to check out our YouTube channel if you haven't already. There's some great new content there that you don't find on our podcast feed. We've discussed the new public charge regulations, and we've also discussed immigration basics. And we have these great little PowerPoint videos that you get to hear me drone on a little bit for. So I hope that you go over there and take a listen. Please subscribe to that as well. But for now, please take a listen to Musician Sources of the World with Christine Smith. Welcome to the first ever episode of Musicians vs. the World. This is a podcast for musicians, those hoping to become musicians, or those that honestly just love music and want to learn a little bit more about it and about the day-to-day lives of the people that make it. I'm Christine Smith. I'm your host. I am a musician, which means I do a lot of everything. I've performed, I've done solo recitals, played in garage bands to orchestras, on small ensembles, theater pits, choirs, weddings, parties, commercials, indie films. Um, I've also, I'm also a teacher and I've done a little bit of composing, a little bit of conducting and a little bit of adjudicating. So I'm pretty much your typical run-of-the-mill musician next door. And over the past 20 years of my career, I've met a lot of really interesting people. And I'm always fascinated by their stories and the lessons that they've learned along their path to becoming a quote-unquote musician. So I started this podcast to share their stories, as well as to talk about the day-to-day issues and things that might be helpful to other musicians for support and also for education. When trying to decide the first topic to discuss on this podcast, I thought it would be best to start at the very beginning with a topic that is pretty universal for every single musician in the world, and that's auditions. Auditions are unavoidable for musicians. It is our interview process. It doesn't matter how well you network or how organized you are or how big your ego is. If you can't play your instrument or if you can't sing on key, you're never going to get hired anywhere. Auditions are a high-pressure situation that all musicians have to deal with. So now good teachers know this, and so we start exposing our students to auditions very early in their learning career. Luckily, there are plenty of low-stress, non-competitive auditions for music students, like Guild or Federation, Royal Conservatory of Music, ABRSM, and there's just there's a lot of them. And they're very non-competitive, and they're positive experiences for students from the very beginning levels of study. We are going to have an episode all about those, so I'm not going to go into those, but what I want to talk about today are high-stakes auditions. These will be your competitions, college auditions, orchestral auditions. They're auditions that really, really have a direct and immediate effect on the career path of a professional musician. So this is actually a three-part series looking at high-stakes auditions. 
So the first two episodes will be featuring concert pianist Dr. Scott Holden. In part one, we'll be discussing how to win an audition from a performer's and judge's perspective. And then part two will cover repertoire choices and kind of more teaching strategies on how to help others prepare for these high stakes auditions. And then in part three, we'll be switching gears and we'll be speaking with Brian Blanchard from the Utah Symphony and his wife, Madeline, who is also a musician and a horn player from the orchestra at Temple Square. And we'll be talking with them about auditions and career paths post-college. So let's just jump right into it. So today we have a very special guest. We have Dr. Scott Holden from Brigham Young University. He is a professor of piano and head of keyboard division at Brigham Young University. He's a graduate of University of Michigan, the Juilliard School, and the Manhattan School of Music, and he has a long list of accomplishments. He is a well-sought-after concert pianist. He's performed in over 40 states, Canada, Mexico, England, Russia, all throughout Europe and Asia. He's been broadcast on NPR, NBC, CBC, as well as numerous local networks. And he has been gracious enough to speak with us over the phone today from his office at BYU. And I am just extremely grateful that he's agreed to talk with us today. And most importantly, he was my professor at school and he has, he was a mentor to me and he helped me rekindle my love for music after I was suffering from a pretty bad burnout. And so I will be forever grateful to him and his guidance and his teaching me when I was at school. So Dr. Holden, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's great to be here. And that was my favorite part of your introduction. I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, well, you're welcome. Um, So before we get into all of your vast knowledge and expertise. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and about how you got into music and why you do what you do? Sure. Uh, my story is probably very much like many other people's, just in the sense that I started, uh, my mom was my first teacher. I was six and uh, quickly progressed. And I think what really propelled me to want to go into music was uh, in middle school, I had gone to Interlochen, which is a summer music program in Michigan. And I realized that the people I was with, I thought, these are my people, you know, um, chance to make music during the day, go to concerts at night. And I just felt so comfortable. And that was a really life-changing event for me. And I, at that point, I decided that's what I wanted to do professionally. And so now knowing what you know now about music and about the profession and about all the nitty gritty of it, would you do it all again? Would you go into music again? Yeah, and I think here's the proof. It's that when I go on vacation, a couple of days is great. And then the third day, I think, you know what would be perfect on this vacation is if I had a piano for about the next two and a half hours. <laughs> so uh, if I could just go practice some music, that would be the ideal vacation. <laughs> And auditions, I've got to tell you, were the worst part of my entire music learning experience. Yes. I'm sure you run into that a lot. You know what? I'm, I'm 48 and uh, I still have every couple of months an anxiety dream where I'm in some piano competition. And it usually looks like this. Wait, I have to play a Mozart concerto in the final round? Oh, my goodness. I didn't realize that it's in two hours. Um, 
And, and, you know, uh, we do our piano juries or our auditions and we as faculty, we look at each other and we say, aren't we glad we don't have to do this anymore? Because <laughs> it is really stressful. I, I completely understand. You've been on juries, you have done a lot of auditions and you've judged a lot of auditions and competitions. So I was hoping you could help us with some of your expertise. Yeah, I'd love to. Well, it, it comes down to this. I always like to ask my students, what wins auditions? And, and the word win is a little bit uh, dubious, I should say. But I think the thing that wins auditions is the intensity of the artistry. This means a few things. It means a balance of the two sides of really what your body needs to do. One is that you need to be kind of the racehorse, meaning <laughs> energy, <laughs> drive, uh, drama, expressing with big conviction all those things that are in the score. And then there's the opposite side of that happening at the same time, which is being cool-headed, kind of the computer, so to speak, um, precise, um, and finding a balance of those two things is um, is difficult. You know, when we have our college auditions, these students have spent um, the majority of their life, maybe let's say they're 18, they've been doing this for, say, 12 years, and they get 10 or 15 minutes to show what they've done with their life. That's a, that's a kind of a terrible, uh, a terrible process, and yet Usually in just within a minute, you can often feel like how much we as a, I, I hate to say this, but as a jury member want to engage listening. Uh, a lot of schools, as we do now, do a pre, pre-screening. So uh, this makes the, uh, the level a little higher once we're hearing the live audition. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a very intense process. And, and I think there is definitely something that you can practice about doing this to, um, to make this as strong of a situation as possible. What sort of things do you mean to practice? Well, um, I really appreciate that uh, a great god of the piano, uh, Arthur Rubenstein, said that it took him seven or eight performances of any piece that was new for him until he started to feel like it was comfortable and he could play it well. Uh, I, I, I really enjoy knowing that like kind of the piano deity are also human <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I have a very similar experience. Um, I mean, I have to play something many times. So um, some of the things that would involve practicing would be, I mean, you'd be insane to go to an audition and whether that means a college audition or just um, even like the end of year studio recital, something that's more low key mm-hmm. without having practiced performing. Um, a, a number of times that very piece uh, because there's always going to be potholes um, and usually those first few performances uh, at least for me and most people there's <laughs> sometimes they're big potholes so um, it's a chance to find out where uh, there are weaknesses in my you know in, in preparation be it memory or musical and I always recommend my students to record those things listening to yourself perform, is a, um, it's a very objective and sometimes humbling experience. And usually it looks like this. I, you hear yourself and you think, I had no idea it was going so fast. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, because your, your brain, um, that, that racehorse part is sending out all this adrenaline. So you, uh, you're going at kind of hyperdrive in your, in your brain. So, so a, a number of performances before the big one is uh, essential. And I think someone would be crazy not to do that. I think it's also important to have a mindset that it's uh, hopefully a very positive experience and that really when you're in a competition, 
you're competing against one person and that is you're competing against the best version of yourself. And if you go with the mindset of, Hey, I get to perform uh, and create music, uh, create art. This is um, very different than a very defensive mindset of like, you know, don't screw up or what, what if I have memory slips or, you know, any of these kinds of things that we all feel. Yes. That was Um, my problem. I would always get into that defensive mode every single time. How do you suggest to your students that they switch their mindset? I like to ask them, what are the parts that they look forward to playing? What chord can you not wait to perform? Basically kind of get back to that first moment when you hear a piece and you think, wow, I have to play that piece. Um, What are the things that kind of made you fall in love with it? You know, in the learning stage of of any repertoire, it's like, imagine it's, it's, it's like taking a stopwatch apart on your kitchen table um, into, you know, 500 little tiny bits and gears and then putting the whole thing back together um, and coming back to a kind of um, uh, second naivety, so to speak, coming back to knowing it for the first time uh, or hearing it for the first time. Um, So looking forward to those kinds of things is important. I I think it's really important in your preparation that you have very, very conscious um, choices about every phrase you're making so that you can be thinking about those things the whole time and not thinking about, you know, those kinds of, uh, uh, more, um, difficult thoughts. Like what like, if I oh, no, this here, the... here comes that hard part. <laughs> yeah. Here comes that B section. I actually was just thinking about this as you were talking about making it a positive experience. Is there a reason that a lot of times the judges are, like scowling when you walk into <laughs> a jury room. What a great question. <laughs> yes. And I really appreciate you asking that. Um, I'll tell you why. And it has nothing to do with the performers. Um, every time someone walks in, because I judge a lot of piano competitions um, in many places. And um, I'm really hoping that the next person who walks in will make my job really easy. And I'll think, that's the winner. They were so great. You know, <laughs> I'm just hoping this will be the one. Uh, they're they're scowling in part uh, because they've been sitting there a long time and their hand is getting tired, <laughs> uh, or maybe they're running 20 minutes late and uh, um, you know it's making things very tight. Um, it has nothing to do with the performer. Um, I I hope that we smile when we have our own auditions here, but uh, I'm sure there's some times when we're not. Uh, I hope that every young pianist, well, who knows what the future will be, but I just wish that they could sit on the other side and be in a uh, adjudicating panel because I think it's very eye-opening. It helps very much to prepare pianists to be in auditions, but I think you also get to see uh, the background and that it's not a track meet necessarily, um, which which I say is like an objective thing, meaning, uh, you know, this person... (laughs) ran faster than the other one and it's it's very right. black and white um sometimes uh there's there's a lot of gray areas so um there have been times when i felt really passionate about a particular uh performer i felt that they were better but maybe there were two other judges and they outvoted me um which is fine because they felt strong about someone else too but Sometimes I just want to take that person aside and say, hey, <laughs> I thought you should have been the winner. I'm sorry you weren't. Um, and sometimes I've even done that. But um, 
in general, I, I just will leave things to the comments and, and not generally make that kind of statement. Right. But uh, right. I'm not saying the competitions are unfair, but I'm saying it's, um, and it's good that there are multiple judges, but uh, it's not always as black and white as the results make it look. Right, because there's a whole interpretation part, and there's that performance, that intensity that you were talking about that really can't be quantified, honestly. Yeah, Um and again, it's that balance between um, precision and then um, and energy. In a college audition, uh, hopefully both are very strong. If it's a younger students in a competition, uh, there might be some students who play absolutely so-called flawlessly. <laughs> um, I have issues with the idea of of perfection. I, I'm not sure if perfection is possible in art, but maybe someone will play no perfectly. But someone else comes and plays, and it's a much deeper musical experience. And uh, it's hard to to balance those two things as a judge. Um, if it's a younger student and they're really playing musically um, and maybe slightly rough around the edges, maybe slightly, um, I personally tend to reward that more. I say, wow, this person's got a lot to say, and they should be encouraged. It's not easy to play note perfect, but uh, sometimes in music, you hear something performed and you have the sense that they played it 999 times on their own. And this was the thousandth time. It sounded just like the other 999. And some of that energy, or again, that kind of um, initial love of what drew them to the piece has been almost sanded out in the polishing process. And that's, that's not good either. Um, but again, it's 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 no small feat to go up and play something um, uh, no perfect in, in front of uh, in a high pressure situation. We'll hear more from Dr. Holden right after this. Immigration is without a doubt a hot topic right now. Anytime you turn on the TV, you're prone to hear arguments about border walls or refugees or asylees or visa numbers. But have you ever stopped to think about how immigration actually works? Maybe you had a professor from India or a daughter-in-law from Nigeria. Maybe you have a coworker from Brazil. Have you ever stopped to think about how these individuals came to the United States? Or maybe when you started a new job, you had to fill out a 99, which is an immigration form. Did you ever wonder, why do I, as an American citizen, have to fill out an immigration form to start a new job? Whether we realize it or not, there are everyday impacts of immigration on Americans. And if you've ever wondered what those are, or if you're starting to wonder what they are now that I've brought it up, I've got a great podcast for you. From Frosted Lens Entertainment, please join me, David Wilkes, at the Everyday Immigration Podcast, now available on most major podcast apps. I love what you said about the person having something to say. Do you want to talk more about that? Like, how can you tell? I mean, I just love that. I think yes. it's so poetic, but well, I can just imagine some of my students looking at me and saying, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, you, um, I, you've, you said some key words. And again, in a college audition, someone's been preparing for for their whole life and they, and they just get a, you know, a handful of minutes to show that. I always make a number of small notes to myself, just kind of general observations about their play. And one of the things I always right, or, or at least hopefully right, is uh, these initials N-T-S or S-T-S. S-T-S is something to say, like, this is a musical person. They have a charisma um, either through their body language, uh, through their choices and dynamics, um, something that really projects off the stage. 
unfortunately, something I sometimes I write NTS, nothing to say. Oh, um, and that's that's a hard that's a hard uh, indictment. But again, you you see kind of a ten minute window of someone's um, experience. It's also important. Uh, I mean, most recitals I play, the first ten minutes I feel awkward, and then I get into it. Right, <laughs> so it's exactly. Really kind of, um, it's it's. I wish there was more time. Um, so they need to hit the ground running. You have a new website for musicians and pianists specifically called Piano Think. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, this is a growing project. And every week I put a couple of uh, tutorials on piano playing. Um, and they're common things that I talk about regularly with students. And uh, they're probably for intermediate to advanced students. Um I've really enjoyed this project. I think it's helped focus my own teaching. Uh, it's it's also great that I can talk about something that I say, you know, I made a video about this. Why don't you review that? It'll reinforce what we talked about. Um, what I love about uh, teaching is that it's it's one-on-one and, and you develop close relationships with the students and every student's a little bit different. But at the same time, the concepts and the principles are generally the same for each student, but maybe just presented differently or or whatever that student needs at that time. And, and at the same time, teaching in a studio is, is kind of um, ephemeral in a way. I mean, it, uh, you know, you teach it and then it goes away, so to speak. Um, hopefully it lives on with that student. But I like that there's some permanency about this. And I, you know, I've spent my whole life thinking about the piano and music making. Uh, so there's a kind of permanent aspect of this as, as long as uh, YouTube sticks around. Just so the listeners know, there are topics on everything. There's topics from octave playing to arpeggios, technique, and there's also a big section on performance anxiety, preparing for concerts. It's almost like a master class just at your fingertips. I really love that, and I'm going to be sending a lot of those to my students. Well, thank you. I've really enjoyed making them. Oh, good, good, good. So again, that website is pianothink.com. Do you want to tell us of any stories of any auditions that you have personally done, maybe when you were a kid or when you were in college, if you want to just give us a fun little yeah, insight okay. into it you? Yeah, it was a meaningful one. Um, I think, well, ultimately, when you prepare for an audition, I mean, you've got to be prepared. But there's a certain part of you that has to not really care at all. It's like, you're just there to make music and you don't care what happens. Um, and... Look, I'm human. I've had auditions where I was so nervous and and feeling unprepared and second guessing myself, and it didn't go well. And I've had auditions that went really, really well. Uh, one that was particularly meaningful. Um, uh, I was in the kind of competition circuit a lot um, in my teenage years, and then they grew more tense when I was older. Uh, I had made the final round of this competition in New York. Uh, and the first prize was a Carnegie Hall recital that was going to be sponsored by them. And um, the audition itself was at like 6.30. It was right at Lincoln Center where I was in school. And this audition, I set up a rehearsal on something completely different than some chamber music piece. Uh, the rehearsal of which was going to end at like 6.10. Um, now, normally this would be terrible advice, <laughs> but it put me in this very relaxed mindset as opposed to like, well, I'll get there at five o'clock, I'll warm up, 
um, and I'll be thinking, 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 you know, overthinking. Um, I was ready to play and I literally walked across the street, had about just a couple of minutes to warm up um, and then played. And um, the audition went really well. And it was one of those great auditions where it had transcended the, uh, the judges. And I was just kind of moved by the power of the music and felt just so connected to what I was doing without having to think about anybody else or judges or anything. Uh, it was just me letting my body knew and my brain knew what it knew how to do. It was magical and I felt like I'd played my best and it's a nice golden end of the story. I won uh, first prize in that competition and got to play a recital at Carnegie Hall. Um, my uh, so-called New York debut. Um, that, that was great, but I, it was a great learning experience just in the sense of not getting in the way of yourself by thinking too much. And that the way I did that was by <laughs> making sure I was thinking about other things <laughs> right up to that moment and then just going and playing and going for it and, and not being so uh, obsessive uh, in my um, immediate preparation. Of course, obsessive in my long-term preparation, but uh, just allowing myself to go and have fun. All right. And that answers the question of how to get to Carnegie Hall. It's just that. Gotcha. Next time on Musicians versus the World. Choosing the right repertoire is essential. Having something that's a little bit more original, I think, makes people stand out. Well, we'll finish up our conversation with Dr. Holden by discussing repertoire choices and teaching strategies to help our students prepare for high-pressure situations. Musicians vs. the World is produced by Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. This episode was produced by Russ Wilkes and edited by myself. Special thanks to Dr. Scott Holden of Brigham Young University for his time and expertise in talking with us, as well as providing the beautiful music you've heard today. In case you're wondering, that was Franz Liszt's Sonata in B minor. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe so you don't miss out on any future conversations. We try to get an episode out every three weeks or so. If there's a topic that you would love to hear about, send us an email at info at frostedlens.com. We can also be found on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and on our Musicians vs. the World section of the Frosted Lens website. And that website is frostedlens.com. And don't worry, Everyday Immigration will be back next week with your favorite immigration lawyer discussing some interesting and complex topics all over again. Thanks for letting me hijack your channel, Dave.